What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look with Glam Pop Culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my much richer now co-host, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, you make you making any uh, money off those Super Bowl prop bets? You get the Demi Lovato under? <laughs> I didn't do any of the props. I always wanted to do the props. Bet uh, that Gatorade color. Yep. Bet the uh, the coin toss, you know, lots of lots of very healthy things to bet on. Absolutely, <laughs> um, shout out to Chiefs Kingdom, excellent game. Yeah, and we're gonna be talking about the uh, the halftime performance at the Super Bowl in a second. Um, but before we jump too far into it, no matter how you're listening to this podcast, you should uh, go to our YouTube page and subscribe, which is uh, YouTube.com/slash/NostalgiaPod. Yeah. You should go to SoundCloud.com/slash/NostalgiaPod and Follow the podcast in any format that you like best. And also follow us on Twitter at NostalgiaPod. And uh, if, you, if you would be so kind, a rating and review on iTunes, five stars only, is much appreciated. Only five. Dave, last night we had Jennifer Lopez, an Oscar snub. And we, we will be talking Oscars later. <laughs> um, and Shakira, uh, yes. who has neglected to pay her taxes to the tune of like 12.2 million like euro or something like that. Uh, so both, both snubs in different ways, uh, performing on the stage last night and, uh, whew, uh, I, I was sweating at the end of that performance. They, they really brought the energy. They, they brought some other things to the, the table. Um, <laughs> how are you feeling about the Super Bowl halftime show? Uh, I thought it was a good one. You know, lots of the, uh, the dancing, and the choreography that they both brought to the table uh, was definitely strong, entertaining, obviously, for, for a variety of reasons. Um, yeah, also, I think, important because I think you know, neither one's like, like an amazing top-tier vocalist. You know, uh, They don't have Demi Lovato's pipes, for example. But they're, they're both the whole package because in terms of entertainment. So I thought it was really well done. I was kind of surprised that Shakira just kind of had her own, like, mini opening set in the beginning that's yeah uh, pretty uncommon the way it's gone i mean i can't remember the last time the lead uh act on the halftime show didn't start it off you know Mm -hmm. um that that was that was an interesting change but yeah overall i thought thought it was pretty cool i i've only watched it one time live but i like to see it again just because it was i mean they're, they're always medleys but this was like hardcore metal they ran through songs i, w- I kind of would have liked to hear uh let's get loud and hips don't lie just a little bit longer personally mm-hmm. but they just kind of kept ripping through the next moment but it was it was really good did you catch the like political uh statements that were made like with the the kids sitting in the cages and like the puerto rican flag and things like that obviously the puerto rican flags hard to miss uh, i mm-hmm. think i missed the cages to be honest when was that yeah, they, so there was like one point where they had on like stage a stage at various points. Yeah, they had one kid that was like singing for a little while. I don't remember which song it was, but then they like kind of panned over the crowd or over the, like the the performers on the, the stage, and it was dark, and they had like light up cages around them. It was hmm. I, I didn't catch it in real time. I thought it was just like oh, that's an interesting like thing, but I, then I saw people posting about it, and I was like, oh, right. okay, I wasn't really watching with the uh, the political mindedness. Um, at the forefront of my radar, so to speak, just kind of was looking for the entertainment value. Um, but as you know, everything is political today, Dave. So 
Jennifer Lopez and Shakira did not shy away from making a statement. So shouts to them and standing up for their mm-hmm. political beliefs. You know, we, we talked about the Super Bowl halftime. Um, some good, some bad since we started the podcast. Uh, you know, uh, Justin Maroon Timberlake. Maroon 5, bad. Yeah, <laughs> Maroon 5, not great. Um, w- would this one fall into your top five of all time? Uh, I mean, heavy, heavy recency bias, right? I think the problem with doing a, a Super Bowl ranking is I didn't see all of them. Mm-hmm. You know? there's, there's you, the... you can watch most of them, though. Yeah, you can. Um, also, I th- I feel like a lot a lot of them, you know, the broadcast was just a lot different. Um, it was not as strong a viewing experience, you know, the, the, whether it's like big pyrotechnic stuff or just the way the camera moves. Mm-hmm. Um, some age better than others, you know? Yep. I think of like, was it 1993, Michael Jackson? Mm-hmm. Um, that looks like a 1993 broadcast. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, MJ still brings it, of course. That was, you know, him damn near at his peak but uh, i feel like some have kind of fallen by the wayside but the, the production values are just so strong now that i feel like i, I do have to kind of have a, a recency bias overall well and uh, i think the recency bias makes sense because you know pretty much until uh what, 2001 after that michael jackson performance the the rap was the super Bowl halftime show kind of sucked to play no one wanted to do it mm-hmm. and then they let mtv take it over because it had kind of fallen to the point where like no one really wanted to do it because of the, uh, the restrictions the nfl is putting on the performance right. and then you had you know aerosmith in sync britney spears nelly mary j blige just like a uh a orgasm of every yeah, single bag. yeah um <laughs> like artist that they could possibly think of to put on the stage uh, ending in a pretty iconic uh, walk this way dance moment with all those stars, which is uh, kind of fun mm-hmm. to think about. Um, you know, I, I think this would make my top five though, because I'm trying to think like uh, the ones that really stand out. I mean, there's there's the meaningful ones, there's the really good performances, but I think for just like the energy this brought, the uh, the uniqueness of it, you know, it being um, basically two female performers you know, where mm-hmm. usually there's, there's a male performer involved except for uh, Beyonce when, when her and Destiny's right. child obviously burned it down. Um, and also bringing a Latin flair to it, you know, really making yes. it feel like it's, this was a Miami halftime show. And I, I appreciated that. It really yeah. felt like a place. So definitely would make my top five. Do any other Super Bowl halftime shows really stand out to you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone goes to the Prince one as the best one from 07. It's kind of funny because I, I the Prince one is in the middle of the post Timberlake, Jan- Janet Jackson snafu, which then led to the halftime show being mm-hmm. very old and uh, different for about 10 years, right? What was it? Paul McCartney, and Stones, yeah. Springsteen, The Who, um, man, Pete Townsend, 2010. Yeah, he's like, he was old by then. You know, that was rough. That was um, but like the Prince one stuck in the mid- uh, right in the middle of that in 07. And like I'll be honest, like it's not like my 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 favorite of them all. I feel like people kind of have this like warm memory of it because like it rains and mm-hmm. Prince is no longer with us, and it's like also not like the flashiest or showiest. Just like Prince is just like a boss, and that's yeah. what he he brings to that. And he like he was only, I think he was like what like forty forty nine or something when he did it, so he wasn't even that old. Yeah. So I mean, is that your favorite one? Like I feel like that's kind of like the default these days. Yeah, I mean it's uh. It's definitely my favorite one, not only for 
everything you talked about they had a really cool stage design for that yeah. especially when purple rain plays at the end and it's raining and it shows his like huge silhouette on this like big like backdrop that's like flapping in the wind it just is like unbelievable and he also didn't just stick to Prince songs he starts off with we will rock you and right. then does a huge guitar riff goes into let's go crazy he brings in proud mary at one point does all along the watchtower it's just like it, it, it's everything you want in a Prince performance he just is like shredding the guitar being this charismatic enigmatic person that only prince was which is why i think it's my favorite um it also is just kind of like yeah you don't have the flashiness of like the dancing and the choreography but that's actually almost what makes it stand out to me is it's so singular in terms of no other Super Bowl halftime show that I I think is good. Sure. It's like that. Sure, sure. Um, U two also comes to mind for me as a top one. Those. Two oh, when ones, was that? That was two thousand two. So that was four months oh, after nine eleven, and right. it was the Patriots versus Rams Super Bowl. So that's yeah. obviously a close one for yeah. me. But so. honestly, if you go back and watch it, I still get goosebumps when they play uh, where the streets have no name with all the names of the people who died in nine eleven kind of rolling behind them, mm-hmm. and just like it was just such a moment, you know, and it's one of those things that like really felt like it made, um, made the halftime Super Bowl important for a little while, which I don't always think of it as important. Usually kind of just comes and goes and I forget who performs, but I'll never forget that one. So that one's probably my number two. What's your favorite one though? Cause it doesn't, doesn't sound like it's Prince. No, it's not Prince. Uh, my favorite one's Lady Gaga from 2017. I uh, just watched the whole thing again, uh, within the past week. And, I think that one's like totally flawless. Like she just does like six or seven bangers. She's dancing. She changes the costume. Like it's kind of like the whole package. It flies in in the beginning, yeah. you know, like, and like it, it, it's the choreography. That's like the avant-garde shit you expect from a Gaga, mm-hmm. but she's also like such like a boss performer that like, and like her voice is so strong that it really just comes across. Like I, I feel like that one really rocks still. I think my only critique of that one is I feel like there's a part where she sings like, a million reasons or something yep, like that. And that, that kind correct. of like brings me down a bit. Yeah. And she also has that she weird does bad exit. romance after that, which brings everybody back. Right. Which is just like, <laughs> you're like, okay, I'm going to lull you to sleep and like shock you back to life. Um, right. <laughs> and she has, if I remember, she has like a really weird exit where it's almost like she like jumps yeah. off the camera or something. She like drops the know. mic and then she's like, Super Bowl 50 or whatever it was. <laughs> or something she just flies in the yeah it's hilarious <laughs> so bizarre but totally <laughs> gaga so yeah that, that's a good one not in my top five but definitely would be up there. Yeah. what else is up there for you i mean you mentioned it but the first beyonce one yeah. beyonce headline where she brings out kelly and michelle for uh destiny's child desi child does uh say my name and uh single ladies yeah that one's incredible yeah. obviously um kind of similar to gaga similar to jayla and shakir the the, the com- combination of great songs with amazing choreography and background dancing and all that stuff mm-hmm. and it's funny like uh the Coldplay one quote unquote the Coldplay <laughs> one but really when beyonce and bruno mars both come back yes, for the second yeah. time um that's definitely bruno's better super bowl because mm-hmm. he had headlined before and then beyonce uh does formation uh, out on the field at that one Yep. And you just forget that Coldplay was the headliner. Yeah. Because Bruno and Beyonce were so good. Yeah, I think it really elevates that one overall. Yeah, that, that one has, a, a, I think, a good case to be in a top five, especially because they, they use the whole field. If I remember, like, Coldplay's yeah. in the middle, and then Bruno comes from one side, and then Beyonce from the other side with, like, a whole marching band right. behind her. Because it's, like, 
it's like in the daytime right yeah it was yeah. like it was it was west coast so it was like yeah. 6 p.m there or something like that so it's still light out it's like a I don't know. Very, very cool. They're definitely a, mm-hmm. a cool one. Yeah. I mentioned the Aerosmith one. I think that one's up there just because it's so like, <laughs> it just is so ridiculous to me that they had all those people on stage all just killing it. Like mm-hmm. I, when I, when I watched that, I think the other day, I still was like in shock that it was like Nelly was just up there with like NSYNC and Britney Spears. And then you have Aerosmith and Steven Tyler just looking gangly right. and weird, but also just killing <laughs> it. It's just, it's, it's a fun one. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the halftime show, it's nice It's nice when it feels like people talk about it and appreciate it. When it kind of just comes mm-hmm. and goes, I always feel a bit bummed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I felt that way about Maroon 5, for sure. Yeah. And also Timberlake, who, yeah. which is kind of, which is just kind of a missed moment because Timberlake really is a, a song cool. and dance man to his core. Yet it was just kind of an inert performance from him two years ago, which is weird because he does have enough hits to to sustain that you know that was a little strange yeah they kind of missed their moment with him i feel like if they had gotten him to do it right after the 2020 experience came out would have been a much different and probably sure. a better show um but. also a uh, shout out katie perry 2015 coming out on the the lion again when, when, you're, when you're that strong a vocalist and you have a meme like left shark yeah pretty memorable <laughs> i'm always gonna wonder if left shark was that was intentional or not like, <laughs> it it just feels too perfect and that it wasn't intentional that it right. must have been intentional um, do you have like a gold s- a golden goose for who the Grammy should get next? Because th- um, there's a few like obvious big names that have never done it, but like Beyonce's never going to go back. Bruno's done. Like we we've already done a few big people at this time, and I'm not sure who like like a throwback like J Lo and Shakira. Like I don't know. Like what are you gonna do, Gwen Stefani? Like I, I don't know if like the the relevance for someone who's a little older is there right now. Do you have anyone? I mean, I think uh, I think someone like Taylor Swift could be a good headliner and bring in yep. some like country stars with her, you know. Uh, maybe someone like uh, uh, Miley potentially, you know, if they'd be, like a mishmash. I, I feel like Miley because she has such a strong, yeah, a strong like backing of so many legendary people. She could probably get some good ones. I don't really know though. I haven't thought much. I think the Foo Fighters would always be able to find a good show. Pearl Jam, I think, is in that sweet spot. Yeah, I mean, they haven't done a a rock band that wasn't supplemented in a while, right? And even Coldplay, yeah. not the most uh, uh, unique of rock bands, let's put it that way, as far as the big ones go. They're certainly not the Foo Fighters. And we already, the Chili Peppers already got used for Bruno's first time. Do we know um, where the next Super Bowl is? I'm not even sure. Uh, we definitely do. I, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, I mean, I think for me, it's uh, Rihanna. Ooh, if Rihanna would ever do one. it, that would be pretty wild. Yeah, you know, I, I just wonder, um, you know, because I was thinking like Jay-Z, I feel like would be a yeah, perfect Politically, like, there's no way. It. Right. Um, Super Bowl, what is this? Next year is in Tampa. Ah, so some good Tampa artists. Why don't we get some of those uh, up-and-coming Florida <laughs> trap rapper, rappers do this. Miami, close enough. Yeah, you know. Um, Get Denzel Nia. Curry. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Full pump. Just perform do back to, back to front. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, why don't we wrap up Super Bowl talk there? Yeah. Um, Good job, yeah. team. But we'll stay on music, and let's talk Kesha. Not exactly a caliber of Super Bowl yet, or ever probably, but uh, certainly a notable artist, I'd say. 
Well, it's interesting. You know, her career traje- trajectory as of like 2012, people might have thought, you know, 10, 15 years, maybe she'll have that catalog. Then everything happens with Dr. Luke. Her yeah. career's derailed. And until she comes back with Rainbow in 2017, yeah. you, you're really like, is Kesha just going to be an artist who's never really able to make a comeback from this? You know, experience this horrible, uh, you know, traumatic relationship in her life, um, kind of held hostage in terms of her music. Um, and I felt like t- I felt like Rainbow in 2017, which we reviewed, and you can check out that review, was a pretty solid comeback. You yeah. know, it seemed like a more mature Kesha. Um, she wasn't brushing her teeth with a bottle of Jack anymore. She was really <laughs> reflecting on her life and seems like she was channeling some of her, her roots. So it was exciting to hear her moving in that direction. And then High Road comes out, and man, I don't know if she wants to keep moving in that direction anymore. She might <laughs> want to go back to the old Kesha. It's like that, Lord forgive me, I'm about to go back to the old old me meme, meme. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. Um, after hearing Praying on Rainbow, very acclaimed, powerful song, she performed it a few times. Um, you know, a, a message song, that's probably the most poignant of all the comment on the dr luke situation it's pretty mm-hmm. subtle in the album to uh come back and have this fourth record which also is still on dr luke's label she's you know not out of that that situation still mm-hmm. um yeah man that uh that sleaze is back a little bit from animal and warrior those uh first two albums and she kind of i think she kind of like gets in on like yeah like i'm doing what i want i don't have to i i don't have to to conform to anything i can be me and if i want to let loose i can let loose i thought it was kind of refreshing to hear her like i think i was on like uh my own dance just kind of be like yeah like this is me i'm not doing doing this because dr luke is making me do this anymore but i still like doing this so here i am that's, that was kind of cool it's like a it's kind of a way to like process her like moving on moving past that stuff you know and if she doesn't always want to be as deep or lyrical, I guess she doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty cool. I, I thought it was an interesting album to listen to because it really like the way they put the songs and the tracks together. It almost kind of felt like the first half to two thirds was very much like her trying to find her footing with diverging her old sound with the artist that she is now and like the. Mm-hmm be more mature you know obviously eight years older than when warrior came out at this point but i didn't feel like a lot of those songs landed that well you know there were a couple i thought high road was pretty good um i i liked potato song even though i thought it was just like a ridiculous name and just song in general um but then like the last half pretty much from like bff through summer the the closing track it sounded more like what we heard on Rainbow. And right. it felt almost like it was a, a metaphor for her career going from like this, you know, poppy, carefree, like nothingness of pop songs to these more deep, meaningful tracks. So uh, it, I, was, I was having a hard time kind of making sense of it in my brain. But I do feel like it's good for her to be trying to find maybe um, more of a mainstream sound to get back into the you know, the poppiness because unless she's making a song like praying, I don't, I don't think her songwriting is really strong enough to be no. carrying her into the, you know, the, the top of the charts. 
Yeah, well, I think that's the thing too. It's with this album. Yeah, it, it's definitely like up and down in the sense that it's devolving and evolving back into, like you said, the two phases of her career. If like from an album perspective, yeah, that, that's messy. Like it, it's it, it's a uh, kind of aimless, right? But for me, I think just kind of like the meta angle of it all. I like that it it um she's not throwing away. I think her early success with this, which is uh, I found refreshing. But yeah, I mean, like, like I think I think I find my favorite song is "Honey," where like it kind of has like this spoken word delivery about like like girl, like the sloppy seconds, right, and shit. And then there's also like this be aggressive, be be like just yeah. cheerleading chant throughout that changes the lyrics and stuff. And I was like, all right, this is this is pretty this is pretty fun. And then like you mentioned, "High Road" that was co-written by Nate Ruiz of Fun Fame, R.I.P. Mm-hmm. to Fun. Um, He's kind of all over this, and then he, she worked with uh, this guy named uh, Rabel. Yeah, Rabel. He co-wrote basically everything. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. Like, like um, thematically, message-wise, yeah, it's kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. But I think like we kind of get like the old, like good old Kesha, and also good Rainbow Kesha, yeah. even if it doesn't mesh well. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool to see that she can still bring it both. So yeah and she seems almost aware of it you know on kinky she's actually like isn't she having like a dialogue with her old self it's even Mm -hmm. featuring kesha with the dollar sign in it so i'm like you know it's 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 good to see that she's still like tongue-in-cheek about and even if maybe it all didn't land she's at least being like thoughtful about where this is going and it seems intentional which is good it's not like she's just like let me let me just go back to this and see if i can write another hit. Yeah, yeah so uh yeah I, I think it's worth checking out especially if you've ever enjoyed kesha because i see her i find her career arc especially with all everything she's been through to be very fascinating mm-hmm. um why don't we move on to talk about another musical artist someone a little more popular than her who dropped her a documentary on netflix miss taylor swift just a uh, little bit <laughs> i'm i'm glad you picked that that uh picture too because that that dress was just like yeah so absurd and out there but i really thought it was great uh i thought she wore it well in the documentary miss americana which just dropped this past friday mm-hmm. um detailing basically swiss life from um when reputation is uh snubbed or i don't know rightfully snubbed by the grammys um, not honored <laughs> yeah not honored at the grammys last year um to her dropping lover um pretty much up to that day is when they they chronicle and her kind of like writing process they also delve back into swift's uh, upbringing um kind of dive a little bit into her psychological makeup and how her earlier performing uh kind of led to her craving this constant validation and this like need to never be controversial in order to avoid criticism um i thought this documentary was uh was really good in some aspects and really left me with a lot of questions which i don't really want to leave a documentary with um (laughs) how are you feeling after watching miss americana yeah it's funny too like going into this miss americana was just at sundance last week taylor was there promoting a director and like in a sense it kind of represents how sundance changed where we have stars and uh top tier film producing companies like netflix at sundance which used to be the home of indie film looking for a home so it's kind of funny Mm -hmm. it's kind of nice poster child for how sundance has evolved over the years um yeah 
Well, whenever a documentary is made involving with the creative involvement of its subject, mm-hmm. you have to be a little uh, cautious yep. of what's being told to you. I think that goes without saying. And it's uh, inherently going to be a hagiography at times. I think that, and, and, you know, from like a filmmaking perspective, I think it looks fine. I, I, I like the way they interspersed like um, paparazzi footage and people's phone video and stuff. It, it was cool to see like some like real world stuff, like even those graphics when they're like uh, showing tweets and stuff. And it, it was, it was cool to see a, uh, I guess it changed like that, but um, and, and even like the uh, like the more lo-fi video of like Taylor just like recording and running through songs in in the studio and stuff. Mm-hmm. It, I, I think it looks looks pretty cool. It's cool how it moves around visually like that. But yeah, from the message, like I feel like if you're already a Taylor fan, you know, if you're a Swifty, mm-hmm. you've been with her for a while, or even if you got just got back on board for Lover, you probably like this and are, and are happy with this because. Taylor giving you more and it, it's definitely Taylor opening up more than she ever has that that's certainly true I think the, the issue I think at least for me or someone who's approaching it with more critical lens is that uh, Taylor's only opening up as much as she is opening up because mm-hmm. she's still being very calculated about because that's how she approaches everything she's very calculating and like mm-hmm. and whenever she has talks about any kind of hardship or um, things that brought her down throughout her career the past few years in, in, in Miss Americana, she never, or in the documentary and Taylor talking, they never attempt to explore uh, why really any of that happened. It's just more about how Taylor felt about it. Yeah. So like any kind of culpability that might've been necessary for certain moments is just totally absent because it's coming from Taylor's point of view. So I feel like you just kind of have to know that going in. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think that that kind of I think that sums up um, an issue I have with the movie very well, which is uh, I really like the the part where they show Kanye West when he you know steals her moment at the VMAs. Um, I think they do a good job of kind of like framing that, and like especially when they show the footage of her doing the interview afterwards, and right. they were like, "Were you a fan of Kanye?" And mm-hmm. she was like, "Well." yeah he's he's Kanye West and like you can just see like how defeated she is in that moment I think they do a really good job of like making you understand that and also showing like her childhood and like how basically like when you perform from the time you're little and you're basically just told like you're good when people clap and you're not good when people don't like it like that that's gonna fuck with your psyche where I was left with a lot of questions you know like there was no Scooter Braun in this um they they showed her advocating a lot for gay rights without really exploring her belief system in any sort of way other than she thinks gays should have rights. People who are gay should have rights. Um, I don't think they really address any of the critique of her appropriating gay culture in this. Very, And uh, mm. I was kind of left feeling like if, if what you're trying to do is ha- like come out of this and basically, I don't know if they're trying to make Taylor bulletproof, but really like, like make you have sympathy for her i didn't really walk away with that much um especially because like you said some of the things that they said have grounded taylor and helped her move on to make a much better record is she's developed a new relationship 
we see one shot of this man walking with her in a distance and then it's just never mentioned again and we never see that person of all people yeah, man right it's like <laughs> it's like someone who's a lot more grounded i was like okay really like he's also another, a celebrity another right? famous person yeah i was like okay um you know you see her talking about her like how she feels like she has to step into this democratic uh i don't know election and was like nashville and i'm like okay but like please explain more like what why do you believe these things like right you've been this um, this person who's been in the public uh zeitgeist for the last 15 years half your life and you've never had any political leanings and all of a sudden you do like right please just explain it further and and it also doesn't say what what's left unsaid is that taylor chose to finally uh reveal a political stance because it was in her best interest to finally right. do that you know yeah so whether it was genuine or not we have no idea mm-hmm. but you can still be uh skeptical of how yeah. it's presented so it, it, it's it, it, it's challenging you know um yeah. it was interesting seeing you know start with reputation and then have taylor be like i gotta make a better album which yeah that is exactly what you needed to do. <laughs> it's interesting to see you uh, understand that in the moment, even as you're doing an arena tour of the album. Yeah, you know, um, that was that was cool. That was interesting. You know, yeah. Uh, I I wouldn't mind a follow up to this just because uh, Lover did not get an album of the year nomination mm-hmm. at the Grammys. It just happened, right? Taylor thusly did not attend the Grammys as a result because it wasn't nominated up to her standard. That was certainly a a uh, album that was you know definitely in the mix and, and worthy of that kind of recognition so <laughs> i'd love to know how she feels now you know the story's not over I, I know she received a nomination for songwriting um and i think she yeah. was the only songwriting nomination where oh. she was like the solo writer on it so I, I assume she's probably at least pleased with that but yeah i would like to see like if if she's like okay i now i've made the record i want to make or if it's still about like getting recognized and winning awards or if she could just be satisfied with feeling mm-hmm. like she did something that's right for her. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know. Taylor Swift's a very complicated public figure and um, I, I don't really know how to uncomplicate her unless she wants to be more transparent, you know, and that's right. doesn't seem like something she really wants to do. Well, and that's the thing. I think some of the best parts of the Dockers when she's just talking about more about how she felt about or changed how she thought about things, right? Like, um, her public image, like from a physical perspective and mm-hmm. being very body conscious and, you know, having an eating disorder in a certain sense. That, that's great to hear. And yeah, that's not like a, I guess an uncommon story to be told from famous mm-hmm. people. I think that was still important for her to share that with her fans. I think that'll um, definitely hit home with a lot of people, especially a lot of women. So that, that was, that was awesome. And like, I, I don't like, was that widely known sentiment from hers? I'm not sure if that's like a, a a new reveal as someone who doesn't follow everything that happens with Taylor, but um, that was really great. Yeah, and, I agree. Yeah, I mean, like her family and stuff, and like her close confidants, and even like her like management and stuff. They're like in the periphery of the doc, but like, it's not a whole lot extra. Like, ah, I just wish we could. We we didn't dig deep enough. That's the problem. Yeah. We must go and deeper, that, and that's because it's it's uh, coming from Taylor. Yeah, it went as deep as she wanted to go. I do have to say, really enjoyed pretty much all the scenes of her in the studio. 
um, even when she's making a song like like me, which I don't yeah. think is like a great song, but like no. seeing her and Brandon Yuri like kind of riff on things and like piece it together and like um, when her and Jack Antonoff, I forgot which song it was they were working yes. out, but they like finally figure some lyric out and you can see them both like getting to us like, oh, yeah, it's really just cool. like, yeah, this is when you can like really appreciate the genius of these two. So, yeah, <laughs> like when she's like, when they're doing me and she's like, I think we got the first single and I was like, fuck, yeah, that was the problem. <laughs> it was the first single. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> probably, um, they probably just made it first, I guess. That's probably what happened. I don't know. <laughs> I also love the back and forth with her and Brandon Yuri where she's like, how about you say it like me? And he's like, okay, like me. And he's like, no, like me. And like it's like the subtlest little difference and he just mm-hmm. can't figure it out. I was dying at that. But it's it's worth watching. I mean, it's, a, as I said, complicated figure um never going to be uncomplicated um but i think i think it as someone that's going to be popular for a very long time yeah um, he's what 30 now yeah like so we have another like 30 to 40 years of her probably uh, <laughs> right i, I think i think it's worth worth the watch um why don't we move on to something else that i think is worth the watch though uh, and wrapped up series finale um the good place uh wrapped up this past thursday after four seasons i thought it was five because they always split it up in the middle yep um broadcast television yeah uh another michael sure you know hit uh just like brooklyn 99 probably the, the lesser of his hits but you know parks and rec um yeah wrote for the office yeah, originally wrote for the office very and it's it's very much in that style you can kind of tell when it's a michael sure product it has a very like distinct feel to it and I've, I've mentioned The Good Place in the past as a show I've really enjoyed. It's been on some of my end of year lists. Um, I don't. I know you haven't really got a chance to get around to it, and I don't know if this is really like a show that's up your your alley or your interests. But it's a it's a show that I think mixes uh, a really cool concept. You know, like when you die, like what the afterlife is like, uh, and really giving like a, a spin on it that you wouldn't expect. Mm. It's very much just like looks like everyday life and that's kind of the the twist you know spoiler in season one that they're not actually in the good place right um, but uh it adds a, like a, a philosophical perspective to it kind of like what makes us human what's the point of being on earth and and making relationships and trying to be a good person like why do we do it um what well, also with just these very like sweet characters that when put together the the six of them um are just absolutely phenomenal um and they have such good chemistry together um and for some of them this was their first really big role i mean you obviously had ted danson and kristen mm-hmm. bell um who were very famous going into this but then you have someone like jamila jamil uh right. who this was literally her first acting job and Huge just break out obviously yeah absolutely kills it um uh, I'm trying to cheat his name is uh, Chad O'Shea Jackson, I believe. Um, let me just double check that. I don't Chad wanna... O'Shea Jackson Jr. Yeah. Ice Cube's son. Is <laughs> no, he on not, the show too? No, it's it's William Jackson um, Harper. Sorry, who was also in like a, he's in Midsummer. He's starting to really break out oh. as an actor. Um, you know, you obviously have uh, DRC Corden, who's been right. everywhere. Um, she's just blowing up and going to be an absolute star. And then like Manny Jacinto, who's mm. hilarious on this and gets to really be like the the 
comedic levity for most episodes and they just they just mesh together so well and it wrapped up i think in a really beautiful way it was an episode that definitely had my emotions going up and down for some really beautiful moments some really tear-jerking moments um and overall just wraps up so thoughtfully you know uh i'm not gonna spoil it for anyone that hasn't had a chance to watch i really recommend it. it's only four seasons probably about 80 20 minute episodes and a good comfort watch that'll make you think more than, than you probably expect to going into something like this. Right. But boy, uh, just an absolute pleasure. And he, and they had a Seth Meyers leading a, uh, finale breakdown show after the fact with all the, the main cast and hearing them talk about it. You can just see how this working on this has really meant a lot to all of them. You know, even someone like Ted Danson, who's obviously legendary in, in the acting mm-hmm. sphere, uh, for the past going on five decades now um, to see him really be moved by what they made and the meaning that they feel like they got across in this is just uh, it's really exciting and really sad to see it go uh, I know I'm gonna miss it it feels it was hard to like have this be the end because I just felt like I was really losing something so you, do you ever plan on checking this out uh i mean probably not i usually don't watch a lot of like the the uh traditional studio comedies like sure's also you know done brooklyn 99 on a show that like i don't hear any bad things about these shows but i just am always i always gravitate towards dramas and i always never am um lacking things to watch so mm-hmm. i just never make the time yeah. um usually but I think Mike Sure overall is just a really interesting guy to me, and mm-hmm. so I continue to keep following what he does. I mean, he inked that big, uh, you know, overall deal with NBC Universal last year. You know, like over a hundred million dollars. He's like, you know, their their biggest their biggest prize, arguably, and he's like been with NBC for like over twenty years at this point. But yep. he's going to be making lots of content for Peacock. You know, he's one of the big could be one of the big drivers of that. So mm-hmm. um, I'm really interested to see what else he uh, keeps doing, he's, even as like something like Brooklyn uh, Nine Nine keeps going. So yeah, uh, definitely one. Honestly, one of the most powerful and I think just kind of intriguing creators on TV, and it's just cool cool to keep up with that yeah it's there's something to be said about making these like 30 minute comfort shows you know and they probably don't get the prestige that something like a like an hbo hour drama gets but man they they, i feel like they're almost more valuable in a sense with everything that's like going on politically in the world i feel like it's like one of those those times during the week where i'm like okay i get to just like enjoy this half hour rather than maybe having to to carry some of that weight so um Definitely sad to see it go. Highly recommend people check it out. But Dave, I think it's time to give our probably <laughs> very um, not diverse Oscar no picks. <laughs> Man, for this, it's a, it's, a, yeah. it's, it, it's it's a boring. <laughs> it's yeah. a a lot of stuff feels locked. Man, I I I, uh, I think I have like nine. Nine, nine, nine categories. I'm like dead, dead convinced on what's going to happen, which is uh, doesn't make for a fun broadcast or a show, you know. Yeah, and you know, without without a host, I mean, I think they did a good job without a host last year, but right. um, it's going to be interesting to see if maybe the lack of a host stands out more when maybe there's not as much uh, diversity in the winners or maybe like surprise winners. 
we'll see. I mean, last year we had uh, uh, Olivia Coleman, yeah, which Oof. was totally unexpected, and everybody had been pegging. Uh, who was the last year? Glenn Close. Glenn Close, yes, to, to take it away and out of nowhere. And then we get a delightful speech. I don't, I don't foresee that happening. I mean, we're going to get a delightful speech from Brad Pitt, no doubt. Um, yeah. which Joaquin we'll as well. To. Yeah, he seems to have some very thoughtful some takes. He had an interesting speech at the BAFTAs last night. Um, but I guess why don't we just like start away from the, the back of the ballot forward. Um, we can kind of just uh, shout out what we think is going to win. Maybe also what we hope will win if, if there is like a, a upset what we'd want it to be maybe <laughs> right, make it right. a little more interesting um where do you want to start visual effects sure sure this one All this right. one i think is uh much more open than some of the bigger awards that feel locked i this this one's definitely open yes yeah, so you have avengers endgame the irishman the lion king 1917 and star wars the rise of skywalker what are you leaning towards what do you what do you think right. will take it home well, I was, I saw, so you know, for all of these awards, I looked back at all like the major awards and like, guild awards and things that have happened to, to date. You know, everything, everything's happened at this point beyond the uh, Indie Spirit Awards and uh, voting uh, ends Tuesday. So, you know, everything's basically locked in. Mm-hmm. Um, but for visual effects, it's funny. So the Visual Effects Society, you know, you know the, the effects people, they awarded Lion King, but uh, the BAFTA for visual effects went to 1917 and the Critics' Choice Award went to Endgame. And that's, I think, like, the only race I found, or, or I think there's a few other ones, but, like, where it's, it's that spread around, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was trying to look for precedent and Visual Effects Society. It's been around since 2002. Uh, the winner of that award has won 10 in the last 17 times, but the, differed the past two years, so I don't think Lion King is certainly safe. And I think I'm just going to go with uh, 1917 because I feel like it's going to do well in a, a bunch of technicals, and I feel like that's kind of we'll throw this one in, but I'm not confident in that one at all. Yeah. You know, if you had asked me a couple of months ago, I probably would have said the Irishman will be a lock for this um, yeah. with the, with the de-aging effects. Um, I, I think we'll get Lion King with this. Although all everyone in this category really has a, a I think a good case to be made, even Endgame, I think, you know, how they stitched that whole movie together. Um, and the the scale of it is just so impressive. Oh, I'm gonna go Lion King. Very, impact, very impressive effect for sure. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I'll go Lion King with that. Yeah, I, I that, think that'd be the, my second choice. I think it's between Lion King and 1917 personally. So it worries me because if 1917 gets all of these, I think it's yeah. just like it's the the, the night is over. You the, know, like, inevitability <laughs> of it all. Right. Right. <laughs> um, what do you want to go to next? Film editing. Uh, yeah, sure. So, I mean, film editing is a, is an important award because it's usually a bellwether for, um, best picture winners. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you, you look at it, so 1917 notably is not nominated for best film editing and, uh, Birdman won best picture in 2015 without a best film editing nom. But that was the first time that it happened since ordinary people in 1980. So it certainly is uncommon for something that's not even recognized for editing to uh, win. And then you look at what's happened, you know, again, no 1917 to pick. Um, the BAFTA went to Ford versus Ferrari. Hell yeah. But then the, um, the, Ace, the Ace Awards, the America, American Cine, uh, Cinema Editors Award, you know, the, the, the editing folks, they separated by drama and comedy. Comedy went to JoJo, and then drama 
went to Parasite. So I think I think this is going to be Parasite. That'd That's be nice, right? That's what I'm going to go with. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I'll go with you on Parasite. I really, I had Ford versus Ferrari underlined as well as Parasite on this one. I hope it's Parasite. Um, I I worry that this could be Joker. Um, and then mm. it's going to be like 1917 and Joker kind of just like picking up off awards as they move forward. But um, uh, I'm going to go with you on Parasite for that one. I think that one's the most deserving. Um, I'd like to see it get some more awards than just the uh, the best uh, foreign language or international feature film, I should yep. say. Um, yeah. Okay, so this one, uh, next one, pro- production design. This this category actually is pretty tough to pick uh, for me. Um you know, we have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman, 1917, Parasite, and JoJo. I mean, each one of those is spectacular in their own way. I think it's going to be 1917, um, if yeah. I had to guess. Uh, it, I, it's a very impressive set design. I mean, they, mm-hmm. obviously, the you really feel like you're in the trenches with them. <laughs> and uh, no matter what part of the movie you're in, it's, it's impressive. Uh, I would hope... If there is an upset here, it's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's between those two, but I would also lean 1917, which did win the BAFTA for this, even though it, and the, the unfortunate aspect is that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, apart from Brad Pitt, really kind of fell off as a, as a contender. So a lot of these smaller awards that, you know, it obviously is very deserving of that we, I think, we had pegged for Hollywood a few months ago, uh, definitely don't seem so uh, certain now uh-huh. and production design is one of those i mean like the, the creation of la throughout once upon a time in hollywood's incredible yep and i mean just think of like the brad pitt racing down sunset in the car like seeing like that where you just whip through the blocks it's amazing but 1917 also i think wows lots and lots of people that vote and you know that make movies because they see just the, the scale of 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 the the, the sets uh-huh. for that movie so yeah i think 1917 gets it man this is really bumming me out um especially because we're the next one i have on, on my list is cinematography and you mean Lock. you have yeah 1917 the, the lighthouse the irishman joker and once upon a time in hollywood but it's 1917 roger deakins like the, yep. this i don't even know, know why they're going to broadcast this because we all know like, yeah I mean, they'll broadcast it just because everyone likes roger deakins so yes. they're happy to see him win this for the second time uh, this also won the BAFTA already um, and the cinematography uh, deal award. So, I mean, awesome that Lighthouse is there at all. Yeah. Love that. Shout it deserving, out. Deserving choice. But yeah, uh, this is one of the locks. That's easy. I mean, the cinematography is the most uh, impressive thing about 1917. So it obviously is the one that should win. Yeah. And you already know that the the highlight reel for that is the the run across the the, the charge you know like you already yeah can see it um you like the cinematography don't you lobster um <laughs> that was a terrible Hawk. attempt um <laughs> costume design irishman little women jojo joker once upon a time uh little women i think for this yeah one. little women won the bafta and yep. i think i think it's kind of getting that you know it's a, it's a period film mm-hmm. um it's funny the critic the critic's choice award went to Dolomite is my name Ruth Carter which is not nominated for the Oscars mm-hmm. but yeah Little Women another movie that like Hollywood is not going to get a whole ton of recognition so 
I think awarding something that it's definitely a, a leader in for this year, like costume design, is uh, would be great to see. And I feel like that's the way it's leaning. Yeah, I, if there's a dark horse for me, uh, I'd I'd hope it'd be Once Upon a Time, but I think it actually might be JoJo for this. Yeah, that's um, the thing. The, the, the rising JoJo energy, you'd feel like, yeah, I think yeah. JoJo is a dark horse for a bunch of things right now. Uh, makeup and hairstyling. Uh, yeah, Bombshell, Joker, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, Judy in 1917. I think this could be Bombshell for this one. Uh, it, did, it won the BAFTA, right? I it did. Yeah. BAFTA and the Critics' Choice. This is another lock I have. I mean, everyone's pegging it for Bombshell. And yeah, I think that, and that, one's, that one's pretty pretty easy. When you have uh, multiple transformation performances like you do with Kidman and uh, Charlize, like, mm-hmm. as, as you do in Bombshell, I think it's a, it's a pretty easy win. Yeah, um, and deserving, yeah. for yeah. sure. Um, sound mixing, Ad Astra, Ford versus Ferrari, Joker, 1917, Once Upon a Time. What are you leaning with in this category? I didn't really make a pick here. Uh, I'm leaning 1917, which won the BAFTA, but Ford versus Ferrari, I think, is also okay. right there in the mix. <sighs> it's just 1917 is going to be up there so many times, I feel like, mm-hmm. uh, especially as we move to sound editing. And we have Ford versus Ferrari, Joker, 1917, Once Upon a Time, and Star Wars. Uh, it's going to be 1917, you know? Yep. Just, just yeah. stay up there for those two, announce them at the same time. Interestingly, the BAFTA is con- combined just best sound. I know that's something that's been talked about for the Oscars in the past. Um, I would not be opposed to that. I know that's one of those uh, blog articles that gets rewritten every year. What is the difference between sound mixing and sound editing? Because people just uh, don't, 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 don't keep it straight. So why make it so complicated? But yeah, I feel like 1917 is going to win both of these. But I think Ford versus Ferrari is the second for both as well. But shout out at Astra. That's a great nomination. Happy to see that. They should uh, they should show the voting. Show us how close it is. I want to know. Oh, I want to know. Imagine. Uh, original song. So we have uh, I Can't Let You Throw Yourself Away by yeah, from Toy Story 4. I'm Standing With You. Breakthrough Into the Unknown from Frozen 2. I'm Gonna Love Me Again from Rocket Man and Stand Up Harriet. This feels like a lock. I'm going to go. Yep. I'm Gonna Love Me Again from Rocket Man. Um, yep, I also our, wrote this as a lock. It won the Globe already. It won the Creative Choice. Uh, it's Elton John. Yep, <laughs> and also Taron. Yep, Taron did not get through Best Actor in the end, but everyone has loved him all award season as he is glad handed like no one has glad handed before. No shame in that. He was so running. yeah, I think it's gonna win. It'll this will be performed at the at the broadcast. This is a lock. Yep. Uh, Original score, we have 1917, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, and Star Wars. I mean, this is probably going to be Joker, but I got to say, I do not recall the Joker score very much at all. Do you? Yeah, so it's, it's going to be Joker, won the BAFTA, won the Globe, won the Critics. But yeah, I forget her name, uh, Hinder, uh, who's going to win for it. It's funny because you look at this this race and you have I was in a plot for Little Women, and you have the um, uh, Newman for Marriage Story, and John Williams, of course, for his 100th nomination. You know, and like it's it's a big who's who. But I feel like Joker just kind of like took this one by the horns like a few months ago, and it just kept kept winning. So yeah, but yeah, like there's that one. I'm trying to think. Like there's a few moments. I get oh the um the bathroom Bathroom scene. scene. Yeah, like that has memorable music, but. It's a little understated for a score. 
to be honest. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I would have personally picked Little Women. Me too. I, I was going to say Little Women is my favorite in this category because I, I have such distinct memories of the sound of like watching Joe like run through the woods back to her home or like traveling sure. from one place to another. It just really stands out. Um, all right. International feature film. Uh, we don't need to spend much time on this. Uh, it's Parasite. Yeah. Um, field. Yeah, watch, watch Les Mis, watch Honeyland, watch Corpus Christi and Pain and Glory. Yeah. Moving on, documentary feature. Well, we're not going to talk about the shorts. I don't know if we even watched. I, didn't watch I haven't shorts. seen any of them. Yeah. I, uh, I just quickly looked. Uh, animated short film, the favorite is Hair Love, heavy favorite. Live action short film, the favorite is Brotherhood. And documentary short subject, the favorite is Learning to Skateboard in a War Zone. But a lot of times those prognosticating for those kind of awards are often wrong. So I wouldn't take any of that to the bank. Yeah. Don't, don't bet on this. Um, documentary feature. We have American factory, the cave, the edge of democracy for Sama Honeyland. Have you watched any of these? I have not. Um, I don't, American factories on the flicks. I haven't seen it yet. This is interesting because the producers guild award for documentary feature went to Apollo 11, which is not nominated. That was the, uh, uh, the highest grossing doc of last year. Um, it was not as big a box office for docs as it was the year before when we had a RBG and Won't You Be My Neighbor and mm-hmm. uh, Four Identical Strangers, some true big documentary hits uh, and free solo, of course. Yep. But this year, um, and, and not, apart you didn't even from mention Paul, Minding the Gap. I mean, come on. Well, that didn't make a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> uh, apart from Pile 11, you also don't have uh, One Child Nation, the China, the China doc. Mm-hmm which was well-liked and uh, the AOC one knocked out the houses in here. So it's kind of an interesting field. The, the BAFTA went to Forsana, but the DGA went to American factory and that's kind of been pegged as the favorite for a while, mm-hmm. but I would not count out Honeyland, which um, that's the Macedonian beekeeping doc, which you can watch on, I believe Hulu right now. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be American factory. I agree. Animated feature. This is an interesting one, right? Very so you, interesting. You have Very How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, I Lost My Body, uh, Kloss, Missing Link, and Toy Story 4. I, if you had gone into this three months ago, you're basically like, it's Toy Story 4. Why are we even talking about this? But Claws seems to be winning everywhere. So what the fuck? <laughs> also, I mean, going a few months ago, you would have assumed Frozen 2 was going to get picked. It's not yes. even here which is wild, which I support because Frozen 2 is bad. Anyway, um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, well, this the whole anarchy of animated feature really kicked off when Missing Link won the Golden Globe, which was not a a celebrated animated movie. It's truly just, you know, a kid's animated movie. Cool. Like, Mm -hmm. nothing more to say. Um, It's from Laika, and it's not their best work, definitely. And then Klaus, which is... uh, was a Netflix original that just kind of dropped and people were like, Oh yeah, that, that was, that was a little different. That was cool. I guess, you know, Christmas movies, if you yeah. can make, get a new one and add it, add it to the rotation for everyone. That's a success. Cool. Sure, Good for you guys. Sure. And then it wins the BAFTA and it wins the uh, Annie award, which is like the animation awards. Um, and then, but you know, I'm still going with toy story four because toy story four won the PGA and then it won the, um, American Cinematography Editors Animated Award as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm going with Toy Story 4, but it, it's truly wide open between, I think, Toy Story 4 and Klaus. I Lost My I, Body has a lot of like critics awards. That's the French mm-hmm. film also on Netflix, but I don't, I don't think that, that could pull through. 
I, I hope it's Toy Story 4. I think it, it's deserving. It's just an amazing uh, animated film. Uh, but I, I think it will actually be Claws, and I think I'm going to be very disappointed by that. Um, it will be notable if Lion King doesn't win Best Visual Effects and Toy Story 4 doesn't win Animated Feature Film. Uh, those are the only two awards that Disney is really competing for. Um, and, what will you know, what will they do? What will you they know, do? I mean, it, <laughs> searchlight movies, notwithstanding, I guess. But um, yeah. just kind of interesting to see that yeah. Disney with with two huge animated hits this year and <laughs> walks well, them empty handed. They they got the um, they got Avengers Endgame in there once or twice, right? So, uh, sure, yeah, I'm just talking about actually winning oh, anything, right? Yeah, yeah, because that, that's not gonna win. Um, so now we'll let's we'll do the screenplays and we'll do the acting adapted screenplay. We have The Irishman, Joker, JoJo, Little Women, The Two Popes. Oh boy, is this gonna be Joker? Is this uh, gonna no. be Joker? No, 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 I don't think so at all. Um, it's gonna be Little Women, it's Little Please. Women or JoJo, but JoJo just won the WGA, the Writers Guild. And everyone's kind of pegging that as pulling head. Funny enough, a few months ago, I would have assumed the Irishman wins this. Steve Zalian, really, really strong script. Um, that was, I kind of had pegged this as, as the Irishman for a while. But, man, I really wish Little Women would win, but it feels like it's going to be JoJo. Little Women just has a much more impressive script to me. It's an adaptation that like transcends its source material and actually does new things as an adaptation. JoJo, I mean... I don't know if the JoJo script is like that was kind of my problem with JoJo is I like it but didn't love it because I didn't think it committed to any uh, being funny or being dramatic enough in my opinion. But it feels like this is going to be JoJo after the Writers Guild win. I'd be happy with anything but the Joker from this category. If I'm being completely honest, um, but yeah, if I, if I had to make a pick, I'm going to say Little Women. I think Little Women gets the recognition it deserves. I think JoJo will. will Go home empty-handed tonight, honestly. Ooh. So, um, the original screenplay, Knives Out, 1917, Marriage Story, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. Boy, there are like four movies here I wish could win. <laughs> uh, which one do you want to win, Dave? Let's, let's start right. there. What do you want to win? Um, I want Parasite to win because of what it means for the rest oh. of the night. Right. Um, What's similar to The Irishman in Adapted? A few months ago, I thought this was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in a Walk. Mm-hmm. QT winning. He's won screenplay before. But, as we said before, with, with that uh, not happening as much, you can look um, you know, at, at, at what's happened so far. I think the interesting wrinkle with this was that Parasite won the Writer's Guild uh, for original screenplay. Caveat, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was not eligible because QT is not a Writers Guild member. Dumb rule, but that's the way it works. Um, so it, they didn't really go head-to-head. Hollywood did win the Globe, though, which doesn't have a distinction between original or adapted screenplay on top of that. Um, if 1917 somehow won this, then yeah, you know that shit's a wrap. I don't really think that's going to happen, though. I don't think so, um, and in terms of the screenplay, certainly one of the weaker aspects in terms of the awards that 1917 is up for. So I don't think anyone will be too, uh, feel too bad about not winning that one anyway. Um, but, you know, with the WGA win, Parasite, you know, I still kind of feel like it's going to be Hollywood, though, given the kind of lack of other wins for once a time. 
You know, though, it's tough. Par- t- I'm not really confident in either one. It's definitely up between those two. If Parasite doesn't win this one, it's looking like it's only probably going to go home with one. So if you're, if we're hoping for any sort of potential upset in best picture, it feels like Parasite's right. got to win this yeah. category. But it, I agree. Pa- I Parasite have- needs this in editing. Yep. Like, that, this, this, this is his path. And I, I actually agree. I had picked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with Parasite as my second one. But man, I, I really wish Knives Out and Marriage Story could both win. I think both those have great screenplays to them. So Yeah, I mean, Marriage Story is another movie that kind of just didn't fade. It's been there the whole time. It's been recognized the whole way, but apart from Laura Dern, hasn't really won much of anything. And you saw that as Noah Baumbach kind of fell off the uh, directing uh, you know, field. So, yeah, and you so just mentioned... The way it works sometimes. You just mentioned Laura Dern, so why don't we just jump to actress in a supporting role? Because this seems like a lock for her. Uh, her role in Marriage Story is recognized. Kathy Bates for, for Richard Jewell, Scarlett Johansson for JoJo, Florence Pugh for Little Women. Shout out to Lawrence Pugh. Yeah. Uh, and Margot Robbie in Bombshell. Uh, yeah, Laura Dern. It's yep. Laura Dern. All these, I'll just say it now, I'll just say it once. All these acting awards are a lock because literally all four of these people have won the BAFTA, the Globe, the SAG, and the Critics' Choice Award. They won that. They, there's been no variety for the yep. major things. So, so why would you expect it now? Right. Actor in a supporting role. Brad Pitt's going to take that home for Once Upon a Time. Yep. Uh, he's up against Pacino and Pesci for Irishman, Hopkins for The Two Popes, and Hanks for a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. That's a fucking stacked category. Yeah, the fact it's such a lock is just like, it's just ridiculous to me. Um, actress in a leading role. Yeah, it's going to be Renee Zellweger, Zellweger, uh, yep, Renee Zellweger for Judy. Uh, up against uh, Charlize Theron for Bombshell, Saoirse Ronan for Little Women, uh, Scott Johansson for Marriage Story, and Symphony uh, Arrivo, Arrivo uh, for Harriet. Um, and then dire- uh, Best Actor, going to be phoenix walking phoenix for joker up against dicaprio for once upon a time in hollywood antonio banderas for pain and glory adam driver for marriage story and jonathan price for the two popes so now that we got the acting categories out of the way because i actually want to ask you if there was one of those to to be upset olivia coleman beating glenn close last year what would it be what would you expect because again i don't think it's gonna happen i think these all four are basically in the bank given the precedent so far. But if you had to pick one, what would you pick? If I had to pick one, uh, I think the one that could potentially be upset is actress in a supporting role. Um, oh. I think, I, think I, I could see Johansson getting the love there. The, like People saying, I'm not going to pick her for best actress. I'm going to give that to Renee. But I wanted to give hmm. some love to Scarlett. What about you? I was thinking the other way. I was thinking actress for Renee because... Judy is the least celebrated mm-hmm. movie here. I mean, Harriet even has an original song now, but Judy literally just has recognition for Renee. Renee also has already won before. And that was one of the first movies that people saw and started talking about in the awards season. That's probably why it got it this far, but the JoJo energy we've talked about kind of rising, picking up awards throughout this season Scar Joe's never won before. Now she's a double nominee. Mm-hmm. Don't think it's going to happen, but I think Scar Joe marriage story probably would be the strongest chance for anything to, to break, break over. Like, you know, it's kind of funny because we thought Adam driver was a favorite coming in. We thought, you know, we, I mean, 
all these races were, were really so stacked, but it's, uh, uh it, it's gonna, it, I think the, I guess the, the, the positive of it is that because they've been winning so much, they've been thinking about this for so long, they're going to have great speeches like Joaquin and Brad, I think are really going to c- crush it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Renee's speeches have been pretty weak all year too. Maybe that inf- impacted some voting. I don't know. Yeah, um, I don't see it. Man, I can't wait to, for Brad to just uh, roast QT for his foot fetish again, though. Just oh want, I, I need I need more of it. I mean, um, he wasn't even at the BAFTAs, but he had Margot read his speech, yeah. and he like made a joke about being single, just yeah. like the United Kingdom. Like, guys, <laughs> killing it. He's he's the best. Uh, two more categories: directing. We have Bong Joon Ho for Parasite, Sam Mendes for 1917, Todd Phillips for Joker. Martin Martin Scorsese for The Irishman and Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, between two, yep. Mendes and Bong Joon Ho. Yep. Who do you got? And another award that a few months ago we were like Quentin Tarantino. He's going to get. Yeah. He's going to get his first best director. Eh, yeah. He, nope. Kind of should. <laughs> yeah. Um, Not going. To. He would. Be, he would be my pick. I would say. Mm-hmm. But 1917, uh, Mendes, he won the BAFTA, the DGA, the Critics, and the Globe. Uh, we tied the Critics with Bong. So Bong never actually beat Mendes head-to-head at any time during the season in the major th- major awards. So it's going to be Mendes. But, man, if Bong somehow won, that would be insane because you know what that would mean. But, yeah, I think, I think regardless of the way Best Picture goes, I think Mendes is going to win this. Yeah, Mendes is the one I chose. Want just wanting to be right, but the one if there's a category that I think we could experience a huge upset, this this seems primed because I I really think I don't know. This kind of reminds me when um, La La Land and Moonlight went up against each other, and mm-hmm. didn't Barry Jenkins win director that year? Uh. No, Chazelle, Chazelle got director and then gotcha. lost Best Picture, yeah. So it, I feel like we could see something like that where it's like either Bong wins it and then Parasite loses to 1917 or vice versa, Mendes wins mm-hmm. it. Because I, I just have a feeling it's not going to go all tape. It can't, it can't. You can't just... I'm not going to stay up for three and a half hours watching this for it to be uh, everything I already predicted. Right, well, and, and yeah, that leads into Best Picture. And, you know, just kind of looking at the press, and I mentioned some of them before, but... Um, Parasite won the SAG win, right? That was the big uh, win, for, win for Parasite as a movie, whereas 1917 won the Globe and the PGA. Uh, Parasite does not have any acting nominations, and the last time there was a SAG win without an acting nominations that then won Best Picture, you have to go all the way back to Return of the King, Lord of the Rings in 2003. So not a lot of precedent for that. I mentioned 1917 with film editing. Uh, you know, not, not not common. 1917 also does not have acting nominations. So for a film to win Best Picture without an editing nom or acting nominations, you have to go all the way back to Grand Hotel in 1932, a movie I haven't seen. Uh, so there's no precedent for that, right? Mm-hmm. Now, on top of that, we also have uh, 1917 uh, was not uh, nominated by the SAG, let alone one, and also was not nominated by... Uh, um, by ace so in terms of like those top five guilds no film has ever won best picture while missing out on two nominations from those top five guilds since all five guilds were active 
So there really is not any kind of precedent at all for 1917 winning. Also, and Parasite also, of course, has a lot going up against it too. Of course, a foreign language film has never won Best Picture. Roma got real close last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Which is, what you're saying is going to be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is a real upset. <laughs> well, the preferential ballot always has a say in the matter, so you can't write, write it off. <laughs> um, man, dude, it's um, man, it, it's uh, it's who do you got who do you got? This could be a this could be a moonlight. This could be a spotlight. That's your path for parasites. Something like that happening. Um, yeah, I I I kind of started feeling good about parasite, which I know is going to be my undoing. <laughs> um, and it's what I want to see so bad that I'm just using my own biases to to pontificate. But it's 1917 or parasite. I don't think once upon a time can crack through, although it's probably third place unless Jojo really has rocketed up as much as it, it just might've, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, with a preferential ballot on its side and the fact that parasite won the sag and actors make up the biggest amount of the voting body in the Academy, I'm going to go with parasite and I'll be wrong in a week. Uh, it, you know, what? I like it. I'm actually going to say once upon a time only because I can't stomach oh. 1917 winning and oh, it, it would, it would be fun, but man, I just, I think this is going to be a very boring <sighs> award show. And, and you know, and bears repeating that 1917 winning is not a green book win or what we almost got about me and Rhapsody win. it's not that 1917 is a really good movie. So it's, it's, it's really a good, good war movie. The problem yeah. is that it's not, it's not new or transcendent it's, and it's apparently it doesn't stand at the multiple viewings as much as it should. Right. And it's, it's not going to win the screenplay. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's gimmicky, which is I think why it's hard to swallow, you know, for me at least, it, yeah. especially when it goes up against these two films, which I don't know. I didn't see 1917 uh, at the top of many people's best films list no. above Parasite and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. No. I, I, has, did that happen at all? Like it's so disappointing. It's you like, know, like 1917's in my top twenty, but four of these other ones are in my top ten, including two of them are in my top two. So there's just tears to this, and it's just annoying that like a second tier good movie is going to actually win it over like some truly amazing shit. Yeah, just frustrating. Hey. Actually, shit, my top four is in this: Parasite, <laughs> Hollywood, Marriage Story, and Irishman, and mm-hmm. then I also have Little Women in my top ten. I would take all of those over 1917. Yep. But probably not going to go that way. So no. we'll, we'll be talking yeah, about it unless, unless something really big happens. I don't think we're going to be talking right after because it's all going to be taped probably. But it, if, if something big does happen, maybe we'll be coming live to you Sunday evening. Um, anything else that we should be priming for next week? We got Briar Patch next week. Yep. Well, uh, yeah, Briar Patch comes out on Thursday. Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey, DC. Some good uh, early uh, impressions. I like to hear that. Yeah, and that Colin Powell uh, cameo <laughs> seems to be like, uh, coming out of nowhere. That guy crushes <laughs> it with those tweets. I love Kills it. it. Um, I'm looking forward to the assistant rolling out. That's the Julia Garner movie about Me Too. It's uh, looking forward to that. I think it's going to start being by more people. Um, yeah, that's the big stuff. Bojack Horseman just debuted the last of it, so you'll be touching on that at some point. Um, but yeah, I mean, all eyes in the Oscars right now. Let's hope there's some uh, 
some anarchy at least a little bit. Let's hope. Uh, until next week, we'll catch you later.